message from tonight comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 18 through 27. Um, so a, a few years back, uh, maybe four or five years ago or something like that, um, we got an application at the house for an intern. Um, and on their application, oh, this is, I don't know if this one's going to break. Um, the application for the internship stuff. And on the resume portion, one of like the, I don't know what the, what the section is called, like, um, it's like interests or one of those kind of categories on a resume or whatever. This person put marathon finisher and like finisher was like all caps with like exclamation marks at the end. And I was like, and we're not hiring this guy. Uh, and uh, just, just because that's really intense to put that on a resume, like all the, you know, the, the dweebs who can't finish a marathon, like I do, whatever. I don't know. We didn't hire him. Um, anyway, uh, I started thinking about that a second ago because this is kind of like the home stretch of the school year, like the last few weeks. And um, I know that, that language begins to like, during dark seasons and also sort of during the end of things, sometimes we start talking about just like pushing through, um, getting, stuff like that. Is, is this cutting in and out? This is... See if this works. Okay, that's good. Um, okay, so um, I just know during the last little bit of the season that there's this language of like, you know, uh, just kind of get through whatever. And that happens during like February, like when things suck. We just kind of want to get through stuff. And at the end, we just, I think we, we start looking forward to like some kind of maybe metaphorical, maybe real beach or something. Um, and we just want to like lounge and chill or whatever. And I, I want to encourage y'all tonight um, to not live that way as followers of God. Do not just try to get through. Finish strong. Do not grow weary of doing good, right? Run this race to win it. That's the kind of language that we're using the sermon tonight, but I'm going to get there quickly. Wow. Um, so uh, this is the kind of language that, that we use. Christians, if you don't know this, like we are, we're, uh, we're sort of instructed to begin our weeks with rest, not end them that way. We don't work for rest. We rest in order that we might go out and work. So in the Christian calendar, the first day of the week is a Sunday. This is a deal for us. So, so for y'all, if you're following Jesus and you're looking to the end of the school year, I, I hope and pray that God presses it upon your heart not to earn three months of indulgent leisure, okay, but that you might finish well in order that you might love God and love others with what you've done in school and love God and love others well this summer. Um, the reason why I'm kind of saying that a little bit tonight is because, um, A, um, and near the end of the semester, if you're starting to feel like, I just want to finish and get out of here or something like that, then, then maybe uh, seminars on prayer might, might just kind of be frivolous to you. Um, and, and maybe an advertisement about student internship may not be that interesting to you. I would encourage you um, to seriously think about it. If, if um, you want to learn how to love other students in this context, you want to help make this ministry more effective, um, you want to grow as a disciple of Jesus, learning how to make disciples, that kind of stuff, um, please consider uh, at least applying for the um, student internship process. Just because you apply doesn't, A, mean we'll say yes, I guess. Uh, and it also doesn't mean you have to say yes if we offer it to you, you know? So, but that might help you a lot in your discernment. So please consider that. But also, uh, tonight's sermon is a bit of kind of a, grow, like a growing up kind of sermon. Um, tonight, um, we're gonna be talking about money. <laughs> and it, that is, I've spoken on this recently at some churches in town, and, and I think people would rather talk about anything other than money. Um, in a church context, literally anything, like it somehow got more silent, even though the word money just got said. And, uh, but, but this is, this is kind of a grown-up thing, and I, 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 
Um, I, I want to treat y'all like adults who are coming out into the city and into the world and, um, and need to carry some torches, you know? So we're going to talk about this tonight, about why Christians and churches talk about money at all. Like, why is this a big deal um, for, for the Christian life? We are, we are not at the house doing a building campaign or anything like that. This is not anything there. Um, uh, but uh, but, but we're, what we're actually going to do tonight, even as we talk about money, I hope, is worship and adore Jesus tonight. I think you'll see. Um, how we can do that through this conversation, right? Um, in a sermon about money in a college context, I'm sure many of you are thinking, uh, look, man, I don't got any money. Um, I'd be really interested in a few years maybe, um, but right now this has nothing to do with my experience. Yeah? Um, all right, first of all, um, I, I actually do know what it looks like to be broke in college. Um, the, one example, um, oh, I won't talk about the times like the, the so sort of the police officers came to my door to evict me because I'm not paying money. But, um, but there was this one stretch of three weeks, maybe I've shared this already, where I lived for three weeks on nothing but a tub of whey protein powder stuff, which I obviously don't use anymore. Um, so whey protein, three boxes of saltines and a little thing of peanut butter. Um, that's it, powder, crackers, and peanut butter for three weeks. I literally did not have another meal unless a friend bought it for me for three weeks. And the reason I didn't get any cash is because my bank account was so low that you have to have a $20 minimum to withdraw any cash. And I didn't have $20 in my bank account for three months, you know, or three weeks, sorry. It was close to that for three months. But um, maybe you're like that. Maybe you're like, hey, I don't have any money. I don't have any money. This is a pointless conversation, right? But I want to be honest with you just for a second, just to provide a little bit of sobriety into the midst of we're poor, broke college student conversations. Cancun's Cookout and Spotify are entirely in business because of you. Okay, like these kinds of businesses are, I know people who are like, I'm so broke, I just, I can only get a medium-sized tattoo this weekend. You know, like that's, that's the way we kind of talk about this stuff, right? Um, like even if you're broke, you're still responsible for managing and utilizing the resources that you have. And some of you in this room are stewarding, quite frankly, quite a bit of resources. Not everybody in this room is really broke. But whatever your personal situation with money is, I, I am quite sure that this strikes you as a bit of a strange topic for college students. In my 14 years working in college ministry, I think maybe I've heard one sermon on money directly, I think. Um, so aren't we supposed to worry about that? Like after we graduate, like why bother with it now? Okay, you may know as a, that as a ministry, the house, like we're connected with um, a ton of churches and nonprofit organizations and businesses in, in this city. And each year, as a number of students graduate and stay in Chattanooga to work, and to raise families, and to worship in local churches, and spend their lives in this place, I am always, you, you could imagine this, I'm uniquely interested in how the alumni of the house are doing. How are the students that have gone, that have been part of this community, um, how are they doing in this city after they leave this context, right? Our local church is thankful to have them as committed members of their community, our healthy friendships and romances blossoming around them, right? Our businesses thankful to have them as employees. Because you see, I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just an internal conviction. It is not only a personal faith, but a way of life for all of God's creation under its king. And it shows in our lives, it bears fruit, fruit which can be seen in their communities at work, fruit which can be seen in our friendships and families and churches. If you want to know what someone believes, you just look at the way they live. That's what you do, because we live out our beliefs. Our beliefs bear fruit. In other words, the faith of students, the faith of all of you in this room right here, who are in, the, the faith of you, it will show up in, in, in fruit 
of your friendships with your roommates, in your families of origin, in your dating lives, in the classrooms. And when you graduate, the fruit of your faith will be seen in all the areas of life that you're involved in after college. And so what I wonder about students as they're about to graduate is how well have they been prepared to follow Jesus? Like, how well? Because I actually hear lots of reports. And one of the humbling things I've seen is that so few young Christians have ever been taught about what it means to follow Jesus with their money. Like, what does the word tithe even mean, right? Or something like this. When should I start giving, if ever? How much should I give? Should my pastor be bivocational? And what are the implications of that and the expectations that we set for my pastor, if that's the way that works? Or should we pair a pastor to be a full-time pastor? And, and if so, how much? What expectations are in line with those kinds of things? Where should I give? Like there's phrases out there like portfolio giving, you know, like something like this, right? Or, or why do we give? These are questions that so many people I know in their 20s have, have just never had answered. But why, when you're in college, do we worry about, when you're worrying about life like right now and you're just worried about finals or the next four weeks or whatever, when you're just worried about this stuff, why should we take a week, like right now, why should we take this night and talk about money? Why can't we talk about this later? Why can't we wait till we graduate college and then talk? Because, friends, I think it's already too late. If you haven't talked about this yet, it's too late in the conversation. Because you are, like I said earlier, you're already stewarding and managing financial resources that are affecting your faith and the work of God's kingdom in this world. I'm, I'm actually so convinced that this is a, a, a part of our faith that like my oldest two kids, my six-year-old and my eight-year-old, I'm already talking to them about tithing and giving and the implications of it because I believe it's going to affect their faith and their whole life and the work of God in and around them. So I want to talk about this now tonight because one, so much is at stake because two, it's a scary conversation for many people. I know that. But I think this is a place where we can have some scary conversations. I also think money affects just about every single aspect of our lives, and it would be really strange if for some reason, like, our faith in Jesus didn't have anything to say about that. Such a huge area of our lives, right? But also because I think it's timely in light of so many of you making decisions for the summer and for next year that incorporate or deal with money. Maybe you might be slightly more inclined to listen tonight. I don't know. But I realize this is probably coming out of left field for some of you in the room, right? But stick with me because we're going to look at why this is such a foundational conversation for Christians why we must talk about this. If you are a Christian or interested in following Jesus, you can't miss this. Okay, so stick with me tonight. Let's pray and we'll get into this. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty and all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Amen. Friends, I know that when we hear about money in the context of religion, faith stuff, like our guard goes up. Many of us get suspicious because we've I don't, probably we've heard. I don't know if how many people have actually experienced this firsthand. I don't know how many of you have like mailed in money from a TV ad. I don't know, okay? But maybe we've heard of like televangelists raking in money to fund private jets. And so we're like, yeah, I know, I know that this guy up here talking about money as a private jet. I don't. Um, we are, we're distrustful, maybe. Maybe because some of us have actually seen money get spent on stuff that we don't agree with how it's spent 
or what it was spent on. So maybe we were distrustful. Maybe we're confused because we haven't read or we haven't heard what God has to say. I suspect that more likely we've probably just closed our ears to it. So in preparing for, for this topic, um, I was combing through like trusted voices and resources in my life. So books and, and sermons and these kinds of notes and stuff that I've taken, right? And one of the modern classics on spiritual disciplines is from a guy named Richard Foster. So if you've been exploring some of the, um, the, the seasonal Lenten stuff, the disciplines that we've been practicing, some of us together um, this semester, you might be familiar with him. Kirsten and Sarah Doyle have been, Kirsten Hyde and Sarah Doyle have been uh, printing chapters of his book, The Celebration of Discipline, each week um, and leaving copies of them in the hub. I think some up here too on Tuesday nights. Um, and I, friends, I just can't recommend the book highly enough, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Um, if you're wanting to, like a good intro into the classic spiritual disciplines of the church, worship and fasting and tithing and these kinds of things, right? Study. Um, in any case, I pulled out that book, right? It's really a modern classic. I pulled out that book to see what Richard Foster had to say about money. Like, what do you have to say about giving and tithing? And I flipped through it a couple of times, and I couldn't find the, the chapter I was looking for, and so I, I ended up just sort of honing in on the table of contents, and it still took a while until I realized that it was called Simplicity. That's the chapter. Incidentally, the chapter that I, I think is kind of honing in on the week as we practice Lent and disciplines together. And I thought, well, that's really weird. I don't really remember this chapter being called this, uh, Simplicity, right? So as I was looking back over the chapter, I realized that I wasn't actually looking back over the chapter um, because I'd never read it. Uh, it was like the first time I'd ever seen it. And I have flipped through that book dozens of times. I've taught on many chapters of the book, like in settings. It's probably the only chapter I haven't read at least three times and I didn't read it once. Like not once. I just skipped right over it. And my suspicion is that that's what most of us do when it comes to God's words about money. So let me tell you something, just to hammer home maybe the, the, the significance of this. There is not a social justice issue to which Jesus speaks more about than economics. I'm going to say that again. There is not a social justice issue Jesus addresses more than economics. May God help us hear what he has to say, because if we're confused or we don't know what he has to say, it's not because he's silent because we haven't heard it or we're not listening, right? So in, in the text that, that Ethan um, yelled for us today, uh, from Luke 18, I encourage you just to keep it open, 18, verses 18 through 27. Um, and, and in this text, um, a, a rich, and it's, it, incidentally it's told in, in the other gospel accounts as well, a rich young ruler comes and kneels before Jesus with a plea. What must I do to have eternal life? This guy says, this rich young ruler with power, his youth and his money, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And he, he hears Jesus' promise of eternal life and he wants it. What must I do? And Jesus tells him, sell all that you have. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor so that you will have treasure in heaven and follow him. That's it. That's all you got to do. Sell all that you have. Ashley, did you get um, like the little Instagram picture thing I sent you on email? If you did, would you put it up? So this is, you can't even read it. This is something I've never seen on Instagram. I just made it briefly. Um, it says, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Like I've never seen this floating around on somebody's Facebook or Instagram. I've never seen this tattooed on anybody. I've never seen this at the bottom of an email signature. I've never, I've never seen like a journal with this scribbled onto the front of it. Like this, this is not, I, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You know what I mean? This is the kind of verse 
that we want to do, do, do away with. We want to do something else with it. We want to reduce it or categorize it in some I should, okay, I don't know. Maybe we ought to turn that off. The first image I made actually had this, like, dude sitting with, like, his kicks over, like, this big thing. And I was like, maybe somebody's going to think that sounds really appealing um, to, like, anyway, whatever. It's not supposed to be that way. It's, like, a really weird verse to see, right? Okay, anyway. Well, you can take that down. <laughs> Thanks. Um, this is a verse, honestly, I think that many of us would hope that somebody like me would come up here and, and sort of expound the Greek, right, and tell us that it doesn't mean what we think it means. Like, surely he doesn't mean everything or, or, or give up all that you have. Because Jesus can't possibly mean that. How could he say to somebody who has kept so much of the law, sell everything and follow me? That's an, that's an absurd requirement, right? Well, knowing that we would respond this way, Jesus actually drives the point home if you follow in Luke 18, the text. You know how difficult it is? When, when this guy hangs his head, walks away, and the disciples are like, wait, what? Jesus tells him, you know how difficult it is for someone who has wealth to enter the kingdom of God? It's like a camel getting through the eye of a needle. It's ludicrous. But, but Jesus, if this is what you mean, then who could do it? If you're thinking that, and you might not be, because maybe you're still reserved and holding back and not even willing to enter into this conversation about money. But if just for a second you could hear the voice of Jesus saying, sell everything, give everything you have away, follow me. You might respond like this man and walk away. You might respond like the disciples and go, then who could possibly follow you, Jesus? And, and it may be of some encouragement to you to know that his disciples ask precisely that question. Then who can be saved, Jesus, is what they ask. What you are talking about is so impossible, then who can be saved? And Jesus doesn't respond to them by saying, no, 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 you misunderstand me, guys. I didn't mean like all that he has. It's not as difficult as you think. That's not what he says. When they ask who can be saved, he responds, what is impossible for men is possible with God. In other words, and this I think is one of the hardest pills for us to swallow in this. If we get what Jesus is saying here, if we understand him well, we will hear him asking for what we think is impossible. If we hear Jesus well, we will hear him asking for what we think is impossible. Whatever he's asking for in each of our lives, it will always feel the same to each of us. Always. Whether it's a habit or a particular relationship or cold, hard cash, the Spirit begins to press in upon us. When, when the Spirit does press in upon us, it will feel like everything. Wherever he pushes, it will seem to each of us that he's asking for everything. Because whatever he's asking for is a rival that we have set up against God. And he will have none of it. If we want the eternal life he's offering, we cannot receive it while clinging to false gods. If we want to enter his kingdom, we cannot enter with false gods in our pockets. These things we give our comfort, our hope, and our trust to. And when God asks for our, our, our comfort, when he asks for our hope, when he asks for our trust back, it will seem to us like he has just asked for everything. And friends, this will strike us as impossible. Jesus said, what is impossible for men is possible with God. And you know what? He wasn't primarily, because I think we do this sometimes, he wasn't primarily talking about doing a miracle with us. Like, it's impossible for you, but watch me do this thing in you. I don't think that's primarily what he's talking about. What is impossible for that rich young ruler who came before him with a plea 
is possible with God. And don't miss this. There he was, God himself in Jesus Christ, doing the very thing which is impossible for men. Do you not know that Jesus was a rich, young ruler? And haven't you heard that he was lifted up before us, giving all that he had to the poor? I want to read to you a, a verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, from the Apostle Paul. For you know the grace of the Lord, Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. This is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. For you and for me, friends, he does what we won't, what we can't. What's impossible for us. He pours out his life. He gives up what's rightfully his. Jesus gives everything, all that he has, freely given to us. And this is the richest ruler who's ever lived. Do you know that it's easier to give a dollar out of 10 than it is to give 10 out of 100? Or to give 1,000 out of 10,000 or 10,000 out of 100,000? Have you discovered that yet? Like, I know some of you in this room think that you'll start giving money when you have a lot, but it doesn't actually work that way. The more that you have, the harder it is to give. And if that's true, then how humbling and awesome is it that the wealthiest king there ever was and ever will be gave all that he has away for the sake of others? For poor you and poor me. This is the king of the kingdom of God. This is the life and the kingdom the other rich young ruler was asking about. Well, look, the kingdom is actually shaped like its king. So when this young man asked Jesus about entering the kingdom, the answer was really simple. Follow me. I too am a rich young ruler, like, and I give all that I have for the poor, and my kingdom looks like me, so if you want to be a part of this kingdom, be like me. You get that? Many of you in this room, you call yourself a Christian. That actually means little Christ. That's what it means. It was a pejorative term initially. Look at those little Christs out there. Many of us call ourselves this with a fish on our cars or whatever you do, Bible verses at the bottom of your email signatures, I don't know. Like, but we bear his name in some way. We proclaim his kingdom. Many of us will ask him, do we not, to be like him? And we profess to follow Jesus? And if Jesus gives all that he has away, and we are asking to be like him, then what exactly do you think you're signing up for when you become a Christian? Jesus is quite clear about this, friends. I said tonight I'm going I'm to try to answer the question, why do Christians give? And we come to the point. Why do we give? Why do we talk about it? Why must it be a part of the rhythm of our lives and our communities? Because Jesus gives. We give because Jesus gives. That's the fundamental heart of the matter. The one who follow, the one that we follow summons us to be like him. We give because he gives, and why do we give everything? Well, because he gave everything. Jesus is actually inviting the world to look upon his church and in her see him giving everything away. Generously and sacrificially, because that's the way he is. We want to be like him, right? Jesus gives away everything generously and sacrificially. And if we are followers of Jesus Christ, then these two words should mark our lives and our communities. Generous and sacrificial. Those words should mark us, friends. People should know us as generous and sacrificial people. 
You and I as Christians are called by our king and like our king to be generous and sacrificial with all that we have. Every quiet time and every loud one. Every show on Netflix that you watch, every song on Spotify, every Friday night, every Sunday morning, every minute of your small group, every moment in your car, every text you send, every thought you think, with all that you have, every minute, every word, we're talking about money tonight, right? So every dollar, too, the money in the tithe basket and the money you spend on concerts and fast food, all of it marked by generous and sacrificial giving. This is what our king is freeing us to do. And what if we would just take him at his word? What if we would respond to his offer? What if instead of hanging our heads like that other rich young ruler, what if we followed him into his kingdom? What would happen? And what I imagine, what I imagine is a young generation beginning to give generously and sacrificially out of all that they have. I imagine the ways the poor and the hungry in our city will be provided for. I imagine the orphans who will have homes and single moms who will have help. I imagine school children provided with books and mentors and warm clothes. I imagine feasts with neighbors and meals where enemies are made friends. I imagine people who are more grateful than they are envious who are less selfish and more kind, who are free and not enslaved. I imagine a swell of young Christians who are known for giving, not accumulating, who share instead of hoard. And I imagine what all this will do for their faith, how they will see God work through them in places and ways that they give, how they will know God's love for them by watching God's love in and through them for others. I imagine how they will begin to care about so much more than what they do right now as their hearts are enlarged through giving. Do you remember that Jesus said that our hearts follow our treasures? Do you remember that? Where your treasures are, there your heart will be also. With the resources that God has given into our hands, we can literally steer and shape our hearts. Do you know that? If you want to care more about a friend, or an enemy, you should pray for them, right? But that's not all the wisdom Jesus provides about this matter. Begin to give of what you have for them. And you know what you'll see? You'll see your cold, dead heart come alive. Jesus has given that to you. Practically, friends, you are missing out on on all that God can teach and provide you if you're withholding from him giving. If you say, I've done all these things, Jesus, and he says, but I want that, and you hang your head and walk away, what are you missing out on? And, and I want, if you would let me, I just want to speak against a few lies of Satan in the midst of this context right now. I don't normally talk like that here, but this is for real, and this is going on. First, don't make a decision if the Spirit of God is pressing something upon you. Sorry, don't make a decision. Don't wait to make a decision if the Spirit of God is pressing something upon your heart. Start immediately. One of the, one of the my, I think the favorite tactics of the enemy is just to kick the ball down the street a little bit, you know? Well, I'll make that decision tomorrow. I'll make that decision tomorrow. I'll make that decision tomorrow. And then I never do. And so my friend who, who, who has asked for some help, I, I keep thinking, oh, I mean to call them and tell them I will help them. And then the week goes by and I missed the opportunity. I know that this person needs financial help, and, and so the check is sitting on the counter. You guys don't probably write checks. I don't know if your Venmo account stands open. I don't really know how that works, but uh, I, I do know how it works, but anyway. Um, 
But like, but I know the tactic of the enemy is to just keep us delaying and waiting until all of a sudden the urgency and the immediacy of this wears off, and I'm now numb to the whole thing anyway. We must respond. We must respond. Do it now. Don't wait tonight. If you have almost nothing financially, that's even better because it's easier to begin. Okay? <laughs> and get some help. Your money, I don't know where this idea came from, but your money is not between you and God. It's not. It's between you and God and the poor and the city and the world and my family and everybody else in this room and your enemies and the church and the kingdom of God. Those are the kinds of things affected by how you spend and and resource the stuff that you have been given. This is not a private matter. This is a cosmic affair. And shining some light on it will actually bring you a ton of freedom and help you breathe a little easier. I have never once shared my finances or my budget or my debt or my savings with a trusted friend and regretted it, ever. Every time I've done that and asked for help, every time I feel freer. Because it turns out, friends, the kingdom of God is not upon your shoulders. This is a community thing, and it's carried by Jesus. And he empowers his bride, his church, to do this together. So invite some help into this. It just might be that some of what you want to experience with your faith in Christ might be hanging on your obedience to him. Take him at his word, friends, and see what he does. Because if you haven't discovered this yet, what Christ commands us to do is always good for us and others. And I want to say that again because I don't think we actually believe it. We believe in a zero-sum game or we believe in some kind of a karmic punishment or I don't know what we believe, but it's not this. What Christ commands us to do is always good for us and others. Always. And while there are benefits, that's how how good he is, okay? And while there are those benefits because he is about our good, he really is, while there are those benefits and blessings for us in obeying Jesus, that's not why we give. That's what I said the sermon was about tonight. That's not primarily why we give. It just seems to be that I would be remiss if I didn't say, man, there's all these things that are standing out there for us in the world if this younger generation began to give generously and sacrificially, because right now Christians don't in America, and I don't want to just rail on what we don't do well because that list can go on. We're sinners saved by grace. But right now in the United States, the average Christian gives less than 2% of their income away. Friends, we do not need 98% of what we make. You already blow way more than 2% on stuff you don't need, and you know that. And it's not supposed to be a guilt trip. I'm asking, what could we do? What could happen if we took Jesus at his word and lived like him? Jesus didn't give 2% of himself away. He didn't give 10% of himself away or 50%. And he invites us to be like him. The the reason that we give, though, i got to stay focused on this. The reason that we give is not because of the benefits and the blessings, although that should tell us about who the God we serve is. The reason that we give is because Jesus gives. That's why. And he asks us to be like him. He doesn't ask us to do something he's not doing. So there he stands, the rich young ruler over all creation, giving all he has away for the poor. And when we come to him and say, what must I do to be a part of your kingdom, to be like you, to have the freedom that you you seem to be promising, to have the life that you're promising, what must I do? Are we surprised when he says, all the other stuff you're clinging to, let go of it. The stuff that has a hold in your life, give it away to the poor. You follow me. Well, look, the invitation stands before us. Right now, right in this moment, it stands before us. And every day of our lives, all that we have, all that we have, he wants us to surrender.
all of it. I've said this at least, it's been a tangent a couple times. It's not 10%. It's all of it. He doesn't just want our Sunday mornings and our Bible studies, right? He wants all of it, even our money. However little of it we have. I, I, I actually cro- I deleted that line and I wrote it again and I deleted it and I wrote it again four times because I was like, I can't say even money because as soon as I say money, people just squirm at that. But it's everything, friends. He wants everything. I don't know practically what that actually will mean in each of your lives. As the Spirit is on the move, and as he begins to convict, which is what we talked about last week, what the Spirit of God does, as the Spirit begins to convict, I don't know exactly how the Spirit will press upon you. In, in this moment, I don't know how the Spirit will press upon you in the days to come. I don't know. I just know that in the way God calls us to live, if you're hearing him, it will seem impossible what he's asking of you. And you have it on Jesus' words that it is. Apart from him, it is. We need his example. We need his help. What we don't need, what we don't need in order to be generous and sacrificial givers. And let me say this right now, because as I talk about this, I feel it in me. I feel it in many of you. Like, this is just a weird topic. Nobody likes talking about this. And so maybe as I was saying, be generous and sacrificial, give everything away. Maybe you're thinking right now, I don't want to do that. So I want to invite you to have a different kind of perspective. I think this is a good one sometimes. What if everybody else did that? Wouldn't that be awesome? (laughs) What if every Christian you knew gave generously and sacrificially? What if you couldn't find a Christian that was tied to their stuff? What if you couldn't find one that got all in a fit when their car got dented? Or somebody else played music in the car instead of them because they were giving even their time away and their preferences away? What if you couldn't find a Christian that did not give generously and sacrificially? Wouldn't that be amazing? Maybe you don't want to be that person, but I submit to you. It's a really beautiful vision Jesus is painting, and he lives that out for us. What we don't need in order to be that, because I think we might think this sometimes, you don't need more money to be more generous. You don't. So if you're thinking, well, as soon as I get more, I'll give more. You don't need that. You also don't need more courage to be more sacrificial. That's not the recipe that we're given. What we need is more joy. That's what we need is more joy. We need to know more deeply how much God loves us. This is actually the only thing which will set us free to live the way that God has called us to live. And friends, this will be tough work. It was tough 2,000 years ago. It's as tough, maybe even tougher today, because in our culture today, our identities are wrapped up in our money. You are identified as consumers, and you don't even blink. You know that? If I said 39% of consumers today, everybody in this room nods their head internally, like, yep, I'm one of those people. I'm a consumer. That's fundamentally how we identify ourselves in our culture. All of the recipes for how to fix our nation have to do with money. This is a big deal, money. How can we ever be freed from the entanglements and the trappings of it? So grave is this idea that Jesus at one point says, you must choose. You, can, you cannot serve both, God or money. Pick. When I preached a sermon about this at my church, my son, who's never asked a question about any sermon I've preached, at the end, he said, Daddy, I have a question. I said, what's your question, buddy? He said, why did you say we can only serve God or money? And I thought, oof, like the tendrils of the sin of money have already crept into his life because he gets $15 a month in his allowance. And he's worried that if any of that goes away, he won't be able to buy his $14.99 Lego set that we supplement because of the taxes. Do you know what I mean? He's eight years, he's eight years old. And obviously the tendrils are in me when I'm counting up the tax dollars that I pay for my son's Lego set. You know, but like my, my point is he's eight and it's already begun. 
His hope, his comfort, his trust are in his allowance money of $15 a month. It's not going to get easier if he makes 100 grand. It won't get easier. The work must begin now. And you know what my son needs in order to combat that? You know what you and I need? He needs joy. I don't need to give my son 30 more bucks so that he thinks more generously. I don't need him to say, I don't need to say, Jackson, buck up, have some courage. He needs joy. He needs to be satisfied so that he's not dissatisfied and envious and covetous. And that, you know what I'm saying? Do you get that? That's what we need is joy. And so we continue to gather together as Christians. This is what we do, reminding each other of the joy that we have in Jesus, that we might be free to be like him, giving generously and sacrificially of all that we have. Friends, Jesus, our rich young ruler, invites us to be like him. That's what he does. I don't, and I don't know how often you're going to hear sermons about finances or giving. Probably most of them are going to be like, hey, we got a $200,000 building campaign. We need you to pledge. That, I think that's faithful and fine if the decision to build the $200,000 building is faithful and fine. And if you're a member of that church doing that fundraising campaign, then you better freaking give or go. But don't hang around like a leech complaining about everything and not investing and putting your money where your mouth is. You know what I mean? That's fine. But that doesn't get at the heart of why this is even a thing for us. Why do we give? If you are following Jesus or you're interested in following Jesus, the king over this kingdom gives all that he has away for the poor. And he invites you to be like him in this journey. You're invited, friends, to do that. Don't wait. Don't tarry. Make the decision now. I, I, I promise you won't regret it. And I pray, I pray for a mighty testimony of all God is doing in our city through the work of giving in your generation. But 10 years from now, I want to hear about what all of you are doing generously and sacrificially in this city through the businesses and churches and marriage and kids and friends, even enemies in this city. Let's pray and ask God for help. God, yours is everything, the greatness and the power and the glory. Yours is the kingdom. Both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all in your hand. It's power and might. We thank you for all that you place into our hands, but we need your help. The resources you give us, we so quickly give them everything which is yours. It's silly how we can do that with a car or a, a digital library, something, clothing, I don't, stupid stuff we give worth and trust and power to. I pray that you'd free us, that we would hear your invitation, that we couldn't roll our shoulders and dodge this. For the sake of this world, God, would you call us out and up to be strengthened and equipped as mature disciples of your son? We might actually give generously and sacrificially, but not just for them, also for us, because you love us. Would you free us from all the things that, that entangle us and entrap us? And would you help us run this race to win it? Even as we sing to you now, um, may you remind us by the power of your spirit, may you remind us that you give us even our hands and our voices, and you give us the reasons by which we sing. May your kingdom come and your will be done with our wallets and our lives and everything else. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.